This is Matthew, Bob and Noah from the Marx Brothers Council podcast. And this, at no extra cost to you, is a special Night in Casablanca bonus podcast. Our deep dive into this movie has just landed in the form of Podcast 33. But for this extra feature, we're going to be taking a look behind the scenes of the movie... And to help us do that, we're delighted to welcome eminent marksman, author of the book Groucho, Harpo, Chico and Sometimes Zeppo, and co-creator of the documentary The Marx Brothers in a Nutshell, Mr. Joe Adamson. How do you do? So, Joe, you wrote your book in the late 60s. It came out, I think, in 1973. Since then, you've obviously not stood still. You've been doing plenty more research and I believe you've got more to tell us about A Night in Casablanca. Yes, I, I was researching the uh, the revision of the book which was planned in the 90s but and finally fell apart when the uh, publishing house shut down. I think it was sold but my contract wasn't sold with it and um, I was trying to dig up all the material I could, and I worked at the Academy Library. There was so much stuff there. Just just catching up with everything that was there was was tricky. What I didn't know was that there was a yeah, – I worked in the Special Collections Department. In the Special Collections Department, there was a collection for a Duncan Kramer. And Duncan Kramer, if you read credits – you know, was the art director for A Night in Casablanca. Well, what happened was when Simon Luvish was doing his book, he asked to see everything that they had at the library on A Night at the Opera. And so somebody went and dug up all this material on Night in Casablanca, confusing the two titles, and presented it to him. And he said, no, 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 I just want to see the Night at the Opera stuff. So here he had all this stuff on Night in Casablanca, and he did not want to see it. But here I was trying to dig up everything. I didn't even know it was there. I mean, I had been working there 10 or 15 years and had never run across Duncan Kramer's name or this Night in Casablanca material. There was a script, and I think it was the script they shot from. There may have been, a, there was definitely a preliminary script in there, but there was a separate script that I think was the one they used to shoot the film. And there were call sheets. And if everybody is aware of what a call sheet is, it is that day's guess as to what you're going to cover that day. So people get it the day before, and they know what they have to prepare for. But if you look at the call sheets for Night in Casablanca, you notice, first of all, the first things they did were the hotel lobby scenes. When they finished all of those, they did the scenes in the restaurant and the casino where Harpo wins at the table and puts poker chips in his eyes and all that stuff where they're dancing, and there's a lot of extras. All of that stuff was, was the first things they shot. And there's a lot of scenes that are in the script that are not in the film. And then as you look at the call sheets, you see why. They were obviously behind schedule. Hmm. There's a letter in um, Miriam's book of letters to and from Groucho, where he says, gee, we had a running of, of the footage all the footage has been shot so far for Night in Casablanca. Gee, it looks pretty good. This may really be good. He's very high on the picture when he sees this footage. And then, as we know, when the picture came out, he, he was very unhappy with it. So what happened in between? Well, I think it took Mayo a very long time to get those good results. But now they're behind schedule. 
mm-hmm. and, and they, they did a lot of cuts. And the script differs from the film in several particulars. For instance, in the script, all that stuff with Harpo and Groucho in the elevator, the way it's written, there's like six or eight people in the elevator. And Harpo's working the elevator, and he and he does his harp number and all that stuff. But there were supposed to be a whole bunch of people in the elevator, and some of them, I think, had lines. Hmm. That's all gone. Hmm. They they end up in jail at some point, and there's there's one other prisoner in the jail. Well, the way it's written, there's a riot going on outside, and the jail is jam packed, full of things. There are just three more prisoners in this crowded jail. That's all gone. But there just was a lot of cost-cutting. One reason some of the stuff that's in the script is not in the film, and and you can kind of tell when you read it, it's tricky stuff. The whole discussion about whether Chico is going to be Groucho's bodyguard, they go about halfway into the scene that was written, and then a wipe comes, and they're into the next scene. The way it was written, Groucho starts picking Chico up and slamming him against the wall and, and... crashing him into tables and, and breaking furniture over his head and saying, so if you were my bodyguard, they couldn't do this to me? You know, and he smashes him into something else. And Chico says, that's right. And he says, and, and if you were my bodyguard, they couldn't do this to me? And he does something else. And obviously that's going to be stunt work, special effects. And all these difficult shots were all being squeezed to the end. Like, let, let's go through and let's get the stuff. We got to get these dialogue scenes shot. So the simple dialogue scenes with two or three people, those are all getting photographed. But what also is lost is the whole explanation of how Groucho, who was not supposed to be who they wanted to be the new manager of the Hotel Casablanca, well, how did he get contacted? How did he end up being the one who was called? He, it, was, it, was the, it, was a, it was a mistake. And Siegfried Ruman later says, late in the film, he says, it's all been a big boondoggle or something, a line to that effect. It's, it's all been a horrible mistake. The mistake is never explained. In the script, it's explained. They're trying to find the manager of the Grand Morocco Hotel, and they send a telegram to the manager of the Grand Morocco Motel by mistake, and that's Groucho. And the Grand Morocco Motel, I'm not sure I have the names right, but it, it's, it's, it's something like that. It's, it's motel instead of hotel. And the motel is like six tenths out in the desert. And if you look in the Groucho file, you'll, you'll see a picture of Groucho talking to Ruth Roman. And Groucho captions that, yeah, this is me doing a scene with Ruth Roman who had a part in the picture. Well, you can look at that picture of morning, noon, and night, and you'll never find Ruth Roman. <laughs> so they must have shot that scene because they've got stills. And what happens is he gets this telegram and, and uh, it says, will you come and take charge of the uh, Hotel Casablanca? And he says, I can't do that. It would mean throwing away everything I've worked for. This is, this, is, this is my livelihood. This is my whole life, this place. A big sandstorm sweeps up. And when it clears, he's up to his neck in sand. He and the telegraph boy are up to their necks in sand. You just see these two heads in the sand. And Groucho says, Tell him I'll take it. And that's how he gets to be there. Now, Groucho's introduction is he gets off the train and does jokes with Chico. And it's never explained how he got there. It's just vaguely remarked upon that, oh, well, it was a mistake. 
Well, we have all these reports about the how long the first cut was. Were these things filmed and chopped out, or they just never got around to shooting them? Well, when you look at these difficult scenes, I don't think they were ever filmed. It does feel like a lot of the scenes are cut short. I think about what you say, Joe, about horse feathers, that it has these willy-nilly, what-the-hell fade-outs in the middle of scenes. It's kind of true here, too. Very often, there's a fade-out, and you can see the characters continuing to speak. And you can't hear them. Well, also cut, among the hotel lobby footage, there's a very well-written scene of Charles Drake and Lois Collier, and that's not in the picture. And I, when I read that scene, I said, you know what? The picture misses that scene. That scene helps you to understand why he does what he does. And my guess is maybe that was cut at that point. In other words, they got a cut that's too long, and the Marx Brothers are three of your producers. What's going to get cut? It's not going to be the comedy scenes. You say, all right, we'll cut that. That's, you know, Louis B. Mayer would leave it in. Mm. But we're in charge now. We're taking it out. One thing I noticed, and I really had to do a pretty detailed comparison to pick up on this, but it became very obvious that the dialogue in the movie is much more bloodthirsty than what's in the script. For instance, there's an opening line where the chief of police says the the manager of the Hotel Casablanca has been killed. Now round up the usual suspects, something like that. But the way it comes across in the movie is like the manager of the Hotel Casablanca has been killed, murdered. I mean, the word murdered was not in the script, but he says it and emphasizes it very clearly. So, you know, all throughout, I mean, in in the duel scene, uh, Harpo's duel scene, Siegfried Ruman, in the movie, he's saying things like, I want to see some blood. It's just, it's just much heavier. Mm. To me, it's detrimental to the comic mood, but it may be more in keeping with the mood of the audience. The, The audience had just gotten through World War II. And people have noted there is a difference in the films that they wanted to see. They didn't want to see the total fantasy fair that got them through the 30s. When you look at the great films of the 30s, you've got Top Hat, Bride of Frankenstein, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You're in fantasy land. There are, there are exceptions to that, but there are exceptions rather than the rule. You get into the 40s and you get the real heavy film noir films. And I think Mayo was sensitive to that. And he was trying to emphasize the dramatic aspects of, of the story. In the, in the duel scene, Sufid Ruman keeps saying, remember Heidelberg. He, he says, remember Heidelberg several times. Well, that's in the script. In the script, he finally gets exasperated by what's going on and the, you know, all of Harpo's gags. And he finally just says, forget Heidelberg. <laughs> and that serves as kind of the punchline to the scene. And that's, that's not in the film. There were also memos in this cache, and there was a specific memo saying that they were going to cut the duel scene in half. They were going to not shoot the second half of the duel scene. And the second half of the duel scene had some tricky stuff in it that Frank Tashlin wrote that, you know, sounds good. I was just explaining it to Patty, and she thought it sounded great. One of the bits, I'll tell you what, what happens, was that Kurt is sword fighting with Harpo. Mm -hmm. And he backs Harpo up into that hallway so that Harpo goes behind the doorway and and we're not seeing him. We see his sword and we just see Kurt and the two swords going at it. 
And mm-hmm. in the background is the door. In the front door to that room, there's a knock at the door. And Harpo goes and answers it. And his sword goes right <laughs> on fighting, you know, with Kurt. And it turns out that's Chico. Chico has come to help Harpo out in this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice. And, you know, th- that's not all. There were some other good bits. And, and maybe it was in the second half that Siegfried Rumon finally says, forget Heidelberg. But that memo has a date on it, so you can tell exactly when they decided to cut that in half. But that was a that was a definite decision. The other thing that I uh, picked up on was in, in in comparing the film to the script, I was able to study the film more thoroughly than I had when I was writing the book. When I, as I've explained many times on the on the council Facebook page, it was a pizza parlor. And I just would go in and buy a pizza and sit through Night in Casablanca two or three times, frantically trying to keep up with, you know, taking notes and writing all the dialogue down, trying to keep up with all the all the dialogue that I wanted. Uh, and I did that twice, two two separate nights. And finally, I thought, you know, I had everything I needed. But it was not the be- it was not the best print. It was not the best way to see the film. And I think I was much more hard on the film when I wrote the book than I would be now, but I was able to see it really by comparing it to the script. I was really able to see things in it. I had never seen before. And one thing I was just looking at it again with, with my wife, all the stuff at the airport, the far shots were shot at the Palm Springs airport with photo doubles. Mm-hmm. The closer shots are the Marx brothers uh, in front of a process screen at the studio, general service studio in Hollywood. And Harpo's photo double is trying to convince you every second that he is Harpo Marx and he's got the horn in his hand and he's holding it and it's visible in every damn shot that he's in. He's holding it up like this or he's got it up where you can see it. And meanwhile, Harpo knows he's Harpo Marx. He's not doing anything. (laughs) So you keep cutting from the photo double brandishing the horn like this to, to Harpo just you know, both hands totally free and you're not sure where the horn is at all. Uh, you also have that tricky stuff on board the plane, in the cockpit, but also getting on the plane where Groucho is hanging on a ladder between a car and a plane. And Harpo said to Groucho, have you had enough? And Groucho said, yes. My guess is that that's where it was. There was Harpo was at the plane door and Groucho was hanging by his knees on his ladder and it just, you know, they were approaching 60 and they just kind of had it with filmmaking, I think. So all those scenes in the cockpit and all that uh, stuff around the plane was done late. Those were among the difficult shots that were moved to the end. Also, a difficult shot moved to the end was, I'm sure, Tashlin's gag, where he says, uh, what do you think you're doing? Holding that building up, he pulls Harpo away and the whole building falls down. And they actually staged that. And I think they realized, no, we got to do that one. So they did it. But they sacrificed the sandstorm and and the throwing around of Chico. Um, Those were just never done. It just got to be too much. They were way behind schedule. They had to finish the picture. And uh, they had to get the shots they absolutely needed. So that gag, which to some people is their favorite gag of all the Marx Brothers films. (laughs) You know, I think they were very smart to do that gag. How would you write your Night in Casablanca chapter now if you were rewriting it? I I found rereading it just in the last week that 
Although your general comments about the film are more negative than I guess you would be now, it's hard to quarrel with many of your specific criticisms. I, I think the quality of the writing is, is, is lower than some of the stuff. But the, the, the reputation that the film has today is that it's the best of a bad lot. Uh, of all mm-hmm. the films after Day at the Races, what, what, would you, what would you take in preference to Night in Casablanca? There just is nothing. There just is nothing to compare it to. It's, it's even better than At the Circus, which I think plays best of, of the three latter MGMs. But uh, Rob Bader has called it borderline unwatchable. So everybody varies. What is it? Bob is the one who hates Go West. Well, that's just my shtick, actually. It has its. It, well, what I said in the book, I still believe it's true. It's it's, it's mm-hmm. like incredible highs and incredible lows. Well, I think I'd have to be incredibly high to enjoy it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but back to Night in Casablanca, I think this film's um, high regard among Marx fans is because Groucho, by far, is the best he's been since like uh, A Night at the Opera. He has great material. He gives a great performance. You know, he's just wonderful. Harpo and Chico are very good too, but I don't think they're. Stuff is like head and shoulders above other things they had done since. But Groucho just really lights up the screen like he hadn't in over a decade. Yeah, I was just looking at it, and, and he cracked me up a couple times. He, he's, he's got some very well-crafted lines, and he has some lines. You know, what I said about that one line, I still believe. Until I saw you 2 I thought every date in town was broken. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But the difference here is that that line is amongst half a dozen other good ones, whereas yeah. in the last three MGMs, you know, you'd get that line and then you get 10 minutes of Young Lovers. Um, there seems yeah. to be a, just a greater quantity of good material for him. And, and, and he's good delivering it. And his scene with Mr. Smith, Mr. Smythe, yes. is, is, is still a great scene. That was the first thing I saw of the picture. I, I, mm-hmm. I saw that in some uh, compilation. You know, if somebody's putting together a Marx Brothers film, I would assume one of the first things that comes to mind is, can Margaret Dumont be in this? Is there a part for her? Do you have any information about whether that was even considered? Not that I could see. By the time Duncan Kramer came on, that was, uh, you know, late, later moments, all that early stuff where they have characters named Humphrey Bogus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think, I, I don't know where she would go in that. Mm. They'd have to write something special just for her, wouldn't they? Because she couldn't be with Sig Ruman because she couldn't be that overtly a villain. Mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, Irving Brecker told me he specifically didn't want her in uh, Go West, but she's in at the circus and the ah. big store. Did he say why? He thought it would give the film too much of an old-fashioned quality. Of course, right. I mean, it, it takes place in the 1800s. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> But he, he he just felt it wasn't right for that. He wrote hmm. he wrote scenes for her and at the circus, but he just felt she wasn't right for Go West. Oh come on, who wouldn't want to have seen her as a madame? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she could have stretched herself, played a Nazi and the Night in Casablanca. It could have been the chance to show her range. I think Siegfried Ruman is definitely a plus in Night in Casablanca, and also the girl, Lisette Verea. Mm. Yeah, I, I I like her mm. a lot. I think she's better than Florence Rice, and she she wipes Lois Collier off the screen. I mean, when the cast list came up, my wife said, "Who's Lois Collier?" You know, and she had been there. 
you know, she just mm-hmm. didn't didn't make as big an impression. The well, Sicaria really makes an impression. She's quite good, but I don't think she liked working in the movies. She only did one other film. So yeah, the, it has its pluses and minuses. But mm. when you, when you, when you add it all up, it doesn't it doesn't have the minuses of the MGMs, where where you keep feeling that Marx Brothers have impulses in one direction and Louis B. Mayer is pulling them in another direction. Yeah, and all through At the Circus mm-hmm. and Go West, you feel this push and pull. And then by the time they get to the big store, the Marx Brothers have given up. And it's basically an MGM musical. Hmm. So it, it's hard to tell, but I really think there must have been two scripts in that collection. Like, as I say, my notes are beyond my ability to, to locate right now, so I can't get too specific. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems to me that I saw a preliminary script. There was nothing in there for Margaret Dumont. And it, it was pretty much along the lines of the film they finally made. But it was preliminary, and it was so preliminary that when they were at the airport trying to get on board the plane, the way it was written, Harpo or Chico had gotten on board the plane and was trying to figure out what to do. And they were both in there, and Chico was was shouting at the straight man, "What, what, what do we do? And they gave him the line. This is the way the line verbatim, the way the line is written in the script. Have him pull back on such and such a switch. That's actually what it said in the script. <laughs> have him pull back on such and such a switch. In other words, we're writers. We haven't got time to research what yeah. you would actually do if you got in the cockpit of a plane. We'll, we'll change that when we get there, you know. Was the script any closer to being a parody of Casablanca, which there's a trace or two of that? And I even keep noticing things like the last scene taking place at an airport. And the last scene in Casablanca is one of the most famous airport sequences ever, but it never quite goes there. <laughs> I think you can see hallmarks of that point in, in development. That, that's how things like that get there. That, that, that's absolutely true. And there's other things like that. Like, like was it round up the usual suspects becomes... Round up all likely suspects. Round up the likely suspects so you don't... Yeah, and you've got a scene at a roulette table. You know, there's a few little... Things that feel like they might have come from Casablanca. Well, all right, I'll tell you one thing that, that is definitely there. I, I think this was in both scripts. You know, you know that guy who's at the bar who who is hanging around, kind of creepy guy, Chico's cousin or something. He's described in the script as a Peter Lorre type. Mm. So I, I think I think it started out that way, then got developed into okay, if we're going to have the Marx Brothers in it, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And eventually you end up with uh, a little bit of different film, but with seeds, you know, the, the old foundation is still there. And apparently there's at least one full-length recording of one of the road tour shows. So hopefully Mr. Bader will grace us with that someday. Yeah, yeah. There are notes at the Academy of some of the Go West performances. Harpo was pulling all sorts of gags that are not in the film at all. But, I mean, the notes are very, very specific as to what got laughs and what didn't and, and what Harpo was doing and how the audience responded to it. And it's surprising to see the stuff and how much was not in the film. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that in vaudeville, the Marx Brothers developed a way of working where they had to have a piece of material to start with, but they had to work with it. And, and they would go from city to city and add things. And we had a thing... When we were doing Marx Brothers in a Nutshell, Dick Cavett said that Groucho had told him that the way they worked was to improvise and lock, improvise and lock. In other words, 
fool around with the scene, figure out what was mm-hmm. funny, figure out what got laughs and drop anything that didn't get a laugh. And then figure, okay, we got that. And then work on another, the next night, work on another part of it. And I thought that should be in the film. And Richard Patterson thought, no, that's, everybody knows that's how you improvise. I didn't think everybody knew that. And I, and I thought that was very uh, informative. So when if I finally do my Marx Brothers book revision and the comedy book that I hope to do, which includes the Marx Brothers, I, I definitely want to put that in because I think that clarifies how they worked mm. and, and why they were unhappy with Monkey Business, Horse Feathers, and Duck Soup, which are delightful when you watch them on television. But if you see them with an audience, you do find uh, some of the laughs getting stepped on. And they were still adding things. Have you guys seen the interstitial on Turner Classic Movies where Marie is talking about shooting day at the races? Marino Sullivan? Yes. And she said, Groucho ad-libbed the line, you're awfully big for a pill yourself. He had lived that during one of the takes. Now here they'd performed it live many, many times and supposedly had it down. This is the scene, but he's still ad living because wow. it, it cracked her up and she ruined the take. And Margaret Dumont told her, don't worry about it. The boys like to know that the stuff is really going to be funny when it, when it gets in front of an audience. So, you know, they were not at all concerned that a take had been blown because somebody laughed. They just said, all right, we'll do it again. But it's interesting when, you know, to to read Arthur Marx, you think, oh, no, they they, they road tested the scenes. So by the time they took them on the stage, they knew exactly what to do. Um, And I'm I'm sure that was 95 percent true. But the thing is, they were still they were still ad libbing because that that was that was their style. And we certainly shouldn't fail to mention that this film was the source of what has become one of the most famous Marx images of all time. And that is the shot of them uh, smoking the water pipe. It certainly was uh, a huge poster back in the 60s and 70s. It certainly hung in the uh, dorm room of every Marx fan I knew. Including mine. I had that and Buster Keaton and W.C. Fields. It's interesting to me, and I've said it several times on the the Facebook page, that that still is one of the things shot on that set, the the, uh, Grand Morocco Motel which does not appear in the film, like Ruth Roman, doesn't appear anywhere in the film, but that's that same set. Mm-hmm. So that that very famous still, is seen everywhere, relates to no scene in the film, but it, there is a, a set that was supposed to be in the film and, and, and is in the script. I imagine there must have been a lot of disappointed college kids who specifically sought out the film <laughs> just to see that scene. <laughs> the bong scene. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if it was just a posed portrait with that hookah or if it was actually in the script and there was some material where they smoke out of a hookah together. Well, Chico and Harpo would never appear on that set in the script. Oh. So, so it would have been they, – they might have done something for the, for the trailer or something like that. But I, my, my guess is it's just a still. Mm. So those are my notes. It took me five years to go through all the stuff on uh, – Night in Casablanca in the Duncan Kramer collection, and also Love Happy in the Lester Cowan collection. On Love Happy, we had uh, production reports of all the films. It's the only Marx Brothers film where I've been able to find production reports. Fascinating stuff and a pleasure as always. Thank you very much, Joe Adamson. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Please like, share, comment, and tune in again next month for the Marx Brothers Council podcast, episode 34. 
Until then. Now, wait, wait. Before you introduce the final song, I have a special surprise. Uh, I've been practicing and I've worked something up and I hope you enjoy it. Now, uh, everybody just sit back and, and listen. Thank you. 